Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. In this episode, I talk with Kaz Clark, who was a first-hand witness to a spectacular UFO that appeared near where she lived in the small village of Penturk, South Wales, in February 2016. What has come to be known as the Penturk UFO incident was preceded by days of unusual aircraft activity in the area, and escalated into what can only really be described as a full-scale military operation to intercept the mysterious interloper. Actions which resulted in reports of an explosion some miles away and evidence of damage to woodland in that area. The explanation as to the nature of these events that was provided from official channels is short on detail and does not correspond with witness testimony. Added to that, there was suspicious activity reported in the area afterwards that seems directly connected to the incident, and again, the rationale given for this is left somewhat wanting. All in all, this is a fascinating case. In the interview, I talk with Kaz in detail about what happened, the investigation she is still working hard on to get a full explanation of the events, and the implications of the incident itself, and how it was handled by those in authority. Enjoy. Kaz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here. The events that you witnessed were extraordinary. To begin with, just tell us when this happened and how it started. Okay. Um, Well, it started for me on Tuesday, the 23rd of February in 2016, um, when I noticed a small grey twin propeller plane flying very low and very slow over my village. And on the first day, I didn't really pay it any mind because we have military aircraft fly over, but they don't actually stay and start circling, which is what this plane was doing. It was the next day when David, that's not his real name, um, but the alias that we've given him, uh, came out of his house and he was cursing because this little plane had kept him awake all night. And it was then that we really started to notice the behaviour of this plane. Um, All day Wednesday, it flew very low. And I just remember thinking to myself, if it went any slower, it would fall out of the sky completely. And another plane, almost identical to the first one, came and took its place and the first plane would leave. Well, when someone's pointed out a sound to you, that's all you tend to hear and you kind of anticipate when it's going to come back. So all of Wednesday night, that was all I could hear was the droning sound of this twin propeller plane that flew over my house approximately every 15 minutes. And you'd sit there and wait and kind of anticipate when it was going to come back. Well, Thursday morning... The planes were still there, where there was only one plane at at a time. And they kind of changed shifts roughly around every eight hours. And so we'd contacted the mainstream media. They didn't know anything. Wells Online, that was, and they didn't know anything. We contacted the Ministry of Defence, and they failed to answer us completely. Um, There were a few ideas being bantered around by the neighbours. Perhaps they were watching for Russian planes and... I know that sounds outrageous, but it was only the week before, on the 18th of February, that two of our RAF jets had turned away two Russian bombers, TU-160 bombers, from our airspace. Uh, But they were clearly watching for something. Um, 
it occurred to me that it costs an awful lot of money to keep a plane in the air for 24 hours a day for no particular reason, having no particular place to go. And there were no military exercises listed for South Wales and especially over our small village in Penturk. So we decided, a few of us, that if the plane was still there later, that we'd go out and watch with them because clearly they were watching for something. But we never imagined in a million years what happened that night. Um, David came to my house later. Donna, one of my other neighbours, also came to my house and we stood in my back garden and lit the fire fire pit and we watched this small twin propeller plane flying not just in circles, but, but this time flying in a figure of eight pattern that crossed over the top of my house. And it was freezing cold. It was February in the middle of winter. And it got to about 2 a.m. on Friday the 26th of February 2016. And to be honest with you, I was cold. I was tired and just a little bit numb of watching this plane flying around and nothing really happening. So I said to David, look, you know, I'm going to go in. Donna, meanwhile, had gone back to her house to make hot drinks. And David said that he'd stay and watch a little longer if I didn't mind. I said, no, you carry on, because he was a bit of a, a plane spotter, to be honest with you. And I just got to my back door of the house and I was just about to go in. And I heard, I described it like a missile coming because that's what it sounded like. You know, it didn't sound like an aircraft. It sound, sounded like a missile coming really fast so I've jogged back to the end of my garden to look up to see this huge plane go over the top of us uh, I didn't know what it was but it was about the same height of the mount as the mountain which is only you know 300 feet above sea level so it is quite low for a plane of that size uh, we had nearly a full moon that night it just ebbed over the full moon and as this big plane banked around to the left hand side in front of us you could see this mushroom-shaped object on its back. And David exclaimed, that's an E3 Sentry plane. Well, that meant absolutely nothing to me because I'm not a plane spotter and I didn't know what the two aircraft were above us either that were leapfrogging with each other. Um, it's only since the big investigation that we now know what those aircraft were. But because this big E3 Sentry had turned up, I decided that I would stay and watch a little longer because clearly things were changing. And from our elevated position, because I live at the top of a mountain, well, actually the foot of the Garth Mountain, but quite an elevated position, uh, we watched this big plane start to circle us. Not small circles. It took, well, we estimated about five minutes to go around once, but it could have been less than that. It could have been a couple of minutes, you know. Um, and we watched it circle seven times. And David said, well, perhaps it's taxiing for the airport. Well, I couldn't imagine why an E3 Sentry, a huge military aircraft, would be taxiing for a civilian aircraft airport, which is Cardiff International Airport. And on the seventh time it went around, one red light became visible high above the fields behind my house. So I'd called for Donna, who was in her house making us drinks, and uh, David and I jumped over the small wire fence and ran to the five bar gate that's behind my house that overlooks the farmland that ebbs away from you to get a, an unobstructed view as to what was going on. And one red light turned into three red lights on uh, in a triangle formation, but on its side. It was the very pinnacle 
of a huge pyramid coming in from my left to my right in uh, it's so unimaginable the leading set of six lights on the near side edge to us was always brighter than the rest and once it was fully here it was still turning very slowly anti-clockwise but came down in a pendulum motion uh, and when it had and was in the upright position it fired this really bright green object out at the top of it that moved to our left hand side and stopped above the trees to uh, about 100 feet away from us and just rocked gently backwards and forwards. I can't tell you what shape that thing was because it was so bright, like a really bright green star. It actually hurt my eyes to look at it, it was that bright. The pyramid by this time had listed to the right-hand side and still turning very slowly anti-clockwise. Um, ejected this hand of lightning. I said to David, it's landing, it's landing. But in actual fact, the ground there was rising because that is the foot of the Garth Mountain. So the ground was coming up to meet it. And just before it touched the ground, it, it ejected, I, I called it a hand of lightning. But I now think it was a plasma ejection of some kind because it was cold. And I know this because the ground itself was not burnt this, later on that morning when we went out to investigate. And the whole thing lit up really brightly. So you could see this was a pyramid, not a string of lights, not a bunch of parachutists. This was a pyramid. And where the brightest lights were, it illuminated parts of the side of this thing. So you could see it had a textured surface. I, I described it like a rock face, like it was made of stone. Um, David, meanwhile, whilst I'm looking at the bottom of it, this is all happening about 200 yards away from us, was staring at the top. And he said he saw 15 or 20, he described as orbs, come out of the top of this pyramid that all seemed to be dancing and mingling with each other and changing colour from red to green and some would disappear completely. I didn't see any of those, and I could tell you that I did, but I genuinely didn't because I was fixated on it touching the ground. And such was the size of this thing. Whilst I was looking at the bottom, I couldn't see the top with my peripheral vision. Um, I heard two military planes coming, or two aircraft coming, big propeller planes. They had two propellers on each wing. And I looked up to see these two aircraft go over the top of me, flying wingtip to wingtip. To, and they flew towards where this pyramid was. The E3 Sentry was still above us. This time now, it's flying in an oval flight pattern over the top of this pyramid. This green object, the first green object that was jettisoned, has now moved so quickly across and in front of the two aircraft in a perfectly straight line. Two more aircraft came from my left-hand side. I now know to be two big Hercules aircraft. They too have turned and gone back in behind what I now know to be two C-17 aircraft. So you had two C-130s out wide, the big Hercules aircraft, and the two C-17s in together in the middle. And between them, they took up the entire really visible airspace. And this green object has fired three really bright strobes at these aircraft as if to get their attention and then seemed to get excited somehow and started skipping and bobbing away from these aircraft as if to draw these aircraft away from the pyramid craft. I did not see where the pyramid went. I presumed that it went back the way that it came. 
but equally, it could have quite easily switched its lights off. I don't know. I just couldn't see it anymore. But other witnesses saw it in Colwinston, which is about nine miles southeast of here. This green object has skipped and bobbed, I described like Tigger off Winnie the Pooh, in an excited fashion, heading uh, northwest towards Clontrissant with these four aircraft in pursuit. The E3 Sentry was still above us. Right, yeah. Um, just going back to that aircraft, the Sentry aircraft. Yeah. I, I think I remember that as that that's a sort of AWACS type aircraft, isn't it? With the sort of the mushroom yes. right up of what's like looks like a normal sort of jetliner. It was actually um a NATO E three AWACS control center. Right. And that that's sort of a mobile radar. Is that is that correct? Yes, that is correct. It's a control center for both air and ground. Um for um a war scenario. Right, okay. And so to me, that gives me the impression that they were looking for something, but perhaps something that they couldn't see visually. They knew it was coming, but they didn't know exactly when. Um, and that's why they had to watch for it for three days and three nights continuously now. They, they, one plane would, wouldn't leave and then the other turn up. They would wait for the other aircraft to turn up before they would leave. They didn't leave the airspace unwatched, not for a single minute. Right. And and when you saw this pyramid craft, whatever it was, appear, was there any noise? You know, you imagine these things making some sort of noise like this. Absolutely no sound whatsoever. There was no wow. distortion in the sky, nothing. This thing came through, I described like a black veil, into this dimension. This thing wasn't cloaked. They weren't watching for it for three days and three nights if it was already here. They waited for it. And then they put their military ambush into action. Um, you know, one once the green object disappeared from sight, we were approached by two I described as barrel-shaped objects, roughly eight to ten feet high and five to six feet wide completely silent they were smooth on the outside as if they were made of glass but i don't know because i didn't touch them they were capped on the top with just black caps and all of the insides were moving like white noise on a tv screen but it was more than that like it was turning in on itself like a cake mix and one of these barrel objects stopped about 20 feet away and about 20 feet up above the hedge to my left hand side I'm still standing on the five bar gate. Um, and I stared at it just for a few seconds because I wanted the details. I wanted to see. And when I looked to see what the second one was, that hadn't stopped. And by that time, that was right above the oak tree, right above me. And the only thing I could think to do was to wave um, because I didn't want us to appear to be hostile with everything else and with all the military activity going on that night. I wanted them to know that we were okay. And that object changed from tail light red to traffic light green, and I could see even clearer the insides moving. And I felt like I had been scanned by something. And how and it was more a feeling, like somebody had reached in and took the fear away from me. Like a, a euphoria, a euphoric feeling that 
almost angelic in a sense. Um, tell the world what you witnessed here were the words that I heard. And I said, I will. Wow, that's uh, that's incredible. And and it's interesting, isn't it? The, um, the use of red and green colours, that's such a, that feels like such a universal code for positive and negative. <laughs> uh, well, maybe the red object had, uh, the red barrel that stopped above the hedge stayed red the whole time like it had remained sentry watching hmm. and then once the the other red barrel had turned green and and I felt well we both felt it scan us and it moved away to our right hand side then the red barrel moved away to our left hand side and disappeared down the valley across the fields we heard the Apache helicopters coming there were three of them uh, one above two in a pyramid formation, uh, flying so low across the fields that it was they were pushing the hedges and the trees over with the force of their rotor blades. And they were heading from my left to my right uh, on an interception course with where the first green object had gone. Um, we now know that they had over 20 military gunships in the air, two E3 sentries, one of which belonged to NATO, C-17s, C-130s. We had fast jets um, that came from an aircraft carrier, so there must have been an aircraft carrier in our waters somewhere, um, and all at the same time. This was not an exercise. This was an ambush. We have witnesses right throughout South Wales now. Um, not all will go on the record, it has to be said, but... We have witnesses in Colwinston, as I say, which is nine miles southeast of Penturk, that had the pyramid fly over their house. And they saw the underside of it. Um, they said their house seemed to fill with some kind of static electricity. They said one of the green objects, one of the barrel-shaped objects, was trying to hide in the field next to their house. And the helicopters were sweeping left and right across that field looking for it. And once they were almost upon it, it's jumped up and skipped away. Uh, we have witnesses in Betis in Bridgend that saw a cluster of, they described, green lights being pursued by military jets and helicopters west of here. Um, so those things had nowhere to go. You know, there has been a huge investigation into this since and has been ongoing for the last, well, nearly six years. Um, and a lot of the evidence has been posted. Uh, There's so much evidence with freedom of information requests and witness testimony that we've actually published all of the evidence for the first five years of the investigation in a chronological order so that people can see it and for themselves. Because a lot of people have heard me talk about the evidence, but not many people have seen it. It's absolutely free on Amazon if you have it in, di in a digital format. Um, if you want to buy the book, if you like, and it's not a story, it's a presentation of the evidence, then there would be obviously for anything that you buy off the internet, there would be a cost to that. But it, it actually proves beyond a reasonable, but beyond any doubt that what happened that night was real. The military sent a clean-up crew here uh, with a cover story that they were from Vodafone. 
a mobile phone company. They also said that they were a fracking survey team, which did not go down very well in the village. Mm -hmm. Um, It turned out that they were actually military. So why lie about their identity if they were just doing a military exercise? Yeah, absolutely. One thing that um, I know did happen was that there was uh, an explosion not too far from where you first saw the the pyramid craft. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yes, indeed. There was an enormous explosion. I heard it here five miles away uh, in Clantrisson, over Clantrisson Common, just behind or just in front of the, the Royal Glamorgan Hospital and the Royal Mint. Um, people's houses shook. Patients in the hospital were shaken awake. This was a violent explosion. This was not uh, a fake incendiary device or a simulated munition, as the Ministry of Defence have told us, because simulated munitions have no kinetic energy whatsoever. But the kinetic wave was so great from this explosion that it set the car alarms off in the neighbouring villages. This was huge and it registered on the Richter scale 40 miles away in Monmouthshire. We've had members of staff come forward from the Royal Glamorgan Hospital who said when they ran outside the smoke was falling from the air and it was so dense it resembled a foggy night. We believe they used a missile and they shot at this green object that crashed into Smilog Woods. We know that something went into Smilog Woods that gave off extraordinarily high Uh, EMF. It took out all of the canopies of the trees. The trees themselves were distended like they tried to explode from the inside out. We have 60 foot trees that have been snapped mid trunk. And not just snapped, I mean these things had exploded uh, as far as the eye could see uh, into an impact area that left white burn marks on the surrounding trees that have been left standing. Now, since then, we have contacted the Forestry Commission to find out why it was that they felled these trees, because they felled all of these trees, all the ones that were damaged. And they told us that it was larch disease, which is a reasonable explanation, because larch disease is quite a problem, um, and that they'd received a plant health notice to fell these trees. So we investigated that, and there has never been a plant health notice issued for Smilog Woods, and they felled the trees in the middle of winter, something they would never have done um, if it really, if they really did have larch disease, because there's no way to tell which trees are infected with larch disease if they're defoliated. So they went against their own biosecurity measures, if that were true. Um, we know why they'd felled those trees, because every single one that they took down had been impacted by something that came in at altitude and descended through those trees into an impact site. Uh, We believe that it was the green object. We now have witnesses in Ponticlean that said that they saw the woods light up that night, which is interesting, and that's a new witness. Hmm. And so is there any reports of something being recovered from Smilog Woods, if something was shut down there? Right. Um... One of the Apaches, and we believe the Apache that fired the shot, um, had to do an emergency, full emergency landing at Cardiff International Airport in the early hours, just a few minutes after the explosion. 
which only left the two Apache helicopters then. Chinooks were seen going into Smilog Woods and carrying something under them and being escorted by the said two Apache helicopters. Why would the Chinooks need to be escorted by two of our best gunships? Um, and they were doing sorties backwards and forwards to RAF St. Athen and back to Smilog Woods. Uh, they made three trips. There were three Chinook helicopters and each time they went, they were carrying something back. So yes, they took something from Smilog Woods and the small aircraft that was here, uh, it's tail number ZZ418, call sign Snake 48, that had been circling here for three days and three nights with its partner playing ZG996, had now moved over to Smilog Woods. And not just anywhere in Smilog Woods, it was circling the exact impact site. Right. That's so interesting. And something, something that I'm curious about is that you would imagine that this would be a big story on the local news, on the radio, everywhere, considering the amount of aircraft that were in the sky. And this is happening over a suburban area. So were you expectant of that? Were you expecting to, to turn the radio on in the morning or the TV and, and see some information about what was happening on local news? Uh, yes. Uh, the first thing that I saw was um, a story that had been put out by um, Wales Online, uh, how helicopters and planes had kept South Wales awake in some so-called exercise. Well, I didn't know you weren't supposed to talk about UFOs. I never dismissed the idea that perhaps they existed, but it wasn't part of my life. And so I posted a comment immediately to say, well, I can categorically assure you that what happened last night was no exercise. What they were chasing will, were not planes. You know, and I will take a lie detector for anyone, which I have done. I've taken three polygraph tests with the leading forensic polygraph examiner in the country. And I passed three times. Um, because I'm not lying. You know, I cannot convince anyone, but I can inform them. This happened and this was real. That's really when we went out to the field where this hand of lightning came out of the pyramid to see if we could see burn marks on the ground. But there weren't any, just everything was dead, like it had had the life sucked out of it. And the other strange phenomena was that it was snowing in that one field, just the one field, nowhere else, not in the we In fact, I felt quite childlike standing on the edge of the field and watching the snow fall in front of me, but not on me. You know, it was it was all new to me. I'd gone over to Clantrescent Common because of the comments that had been made on the article by Wells Online, um, which was my starting point at the other end, because I wanted to know what had happened to that green object. And the military had performed a, a meticulous metal search on Clantrescent Common in the early hours of the morning. Um, that really was quite disturbing for everybody that lived around there. Uh, we believe to pick up parts of that missile they fired. Every piece of metal that had been on that common for years, old bikes, you know, an old fridge over there, a bit of old car, had all been neatly stacked up along the roadside. Every scrap of metal was picked up that night. Um, I actually met a couple of guys just a few months ago that were metal detecting on the 
on the common, they hadn't even found as much as a bottle top, which just wouldn't happen. You know, it, it was a meticulous metal search. Um, and once we asked the Ministry of Defence why they did that, they chose to say Section 26, not in the public interest. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine why they're being so difficult. I imagine it would be easy for them to come up with a, a better explanation rather than just cause all this mystery, encourage this mystery. I mean, obviously, I'm, you know, they're probably not going to tell you exactly what happened, but I find it intriguing that their explanation doesn't make sense. It's not even a very good explanation. No, I've actually had the Ministry of Defence turn up at my fourth year presentation and anniversary presentation. And all I'll really say about them is that it was one man and one woman because I protect the identity of all witnesses, including them. Mm -hmm. And they said that they were there for personal reasons, and I have to respect that. But afterwards, I was approached by both of them. I mean, the man was quite critical, saying, well, you know, do you think what you saw was a drone? And I said, well, unless, you know, we can make drones, you know, 10 feet high, six feet wide and fly completely silently and change colour, then I'd have to concur. But I'm yet to see us build a pyramid that can fly. But the woman, um, I've, I felt quite sorry for her, really. She she told me the Ministry of Defence do know. I said, well, I know they know because I was there, I saw it. And when she walked away from me, it was like she had the weight of the world on her shoulders like these people have been placed in these positions where they're not allowed to say something. Hmm. And we should be told. I mean, those, in my opinion, and only my humble opinion, those things were not hostile. They didn't harm us. They did not attack our military aircraft. They fled. They tried to hide. Does that sound like something that's hostile to you? Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's a really good point. So um, a little while ago, you were talking about there was an investigation by people who said that they were from Vodafone, but they weren't. When did that happen relative to the incident itself? Okay. It was only a few days after the incident, and it wasn't an investigation. We had these very strange men and women come and camp in the fields behind my house. Well, we've never had people camping in the fields behind my house, ever and I've been here 20 years. Um, and I'd only really found out about it because of my local Penturk hub. And several comments were made by other residents to say that they'd been told different stories. Um, one had been told that they were a fracking survey team and another had said that they were actually Vodafone. Well, that tweaked my curiosity. Um, and I'd gone over with a friend, Steve, because I wanted to know what was going on. And once we got to the gate, the five bar gate, we saw two soldiers walking towards us wearing uh, digital camouflage uniforms and carrying guns. These were automatic weapons. They did not have yellow caps in the end of the barrels, implying they were carrying blank ammunition. They spoke, one spoke in a very eaten, educated English accent and said, or we're doing a military exercise down in the fields if you see anything funny going on. And the other one was more of a Kent accent, London Kent. 
So we'd, we'd walk further down the trail. The campsite was on my left-hand side. Uh, further down the trail, they were searching the field where the pyramid came in, wearing white forensic suits, uh, gloves, and those blue coverall things that you put on your feet. And they behaved very strangely. If you got too close or they saw you, every single one of them would stop what they were doing, stand up and stare at you until you were out of sight. And I described it like a weird cult 60s movie, but that's exactly what it was like. We walked through the campsite and I, I didn't want to get too close initially. And we walked around, the, started to walk around the perimeter of the field and I had my little dog with me. Uh, and I said to Steve, oh, come on, you know, I want to cut across the field. So I did. And as I did so, I was charged by a huge dog that came out that I now know to be some kind of pit bull type breed. And it's come out of one of the tents where I could see two people, two men, one seated and one standing. And I asked Steve to pick my little dog up because I didn't want her to get bitten and then shouted at the two men that I could see in camp. You need to put your dog on a lead this nearly lambing season. The farmer's got a shotgun and he's not afraid to use it. And I had an answer like, what, you know? And that was my inn. So I'd walked up the middle of their camp and I took some covert photographs and I asked them who they were. And they had uh, military trousers on, but they had civilian jumpers or fleeces. And they told me they were from Vodafone. So within 10 minutes, you know, I've been told two different stories. They're either doing a military exercise or they're Vodafone. And the, the man seated, who was about 60 years old, with a DA-type hairstyle, complete silver fox, uh, and these gold-rimmed half-moon glasses, and he was operating this laptop-type device, but it wasn't a laptop. It was almost one and a half times the width of a, of a laptop, and he's closed the lid in front of me so I couldn't see what he was doing. So they repeatedly asked me who I was, and I said, well, I'm a resident, you know, what are you doing? Who are you? And again, they reiterated that they were Vodafone doing field research. Well, they weren't Vodafone. They lied about their identity. There are no military exercises that have ever been listed for this area. No planning permission has ever been granted. No applications have ever been made to camp in those fields behind my house. Um, they were military. We asked the, the Ministry of Defence, who were these people camping in the fields? And they told us they held no information within the scope of our request. So we asked them what they were doing. And they claimed Section 26, not in the public interest. Well, only the military can hide behind Section 26. So that answered our first question. Um, it was a covert operation. And if it was covert, it means it was real, not an exercise. Absolutely. And so is this around the time that you decide to, you want to investigate what has happened? I mean, is, is this the sort of the moment where you realise that you need to keep digging? No, I didn't realise how deeply I had been affected by all of this. It was only really my reaction to things, my emotional outbursts that I never had before, um, that I was not rational anymore, that I'd fly off the handle uh, at no particular, for no particular reason. And that's when I realised that I had PTSD. Hmm. I didn't go out 
for 18 months. I didn't speak about it for 18 months after I was lent on by the mainstream and interrogated by the mainstream. I didn't speak about it. My computer was hacked, my phone was hacked, and valuable messages were removed from my phone. David had photographs removed from his computer. Um, his phone was actually fried that night. People say, well, why didn't you take photographs or film it? I wish I could. My battery was fully charged when I went out in my garden. And when I stood on the gate and tried to turn my phone on, it was completely flat. Uh, Gary Jones, who has been the lead investigator into this case, had thought that perhaps the E3 Sentry may have had something to do with that, as it has jamming capabilities. But we now believe that the high EMF that was found in those fields is responsible for frying our telephones. Right. Um, just going back to what you were saying there, so the information that was removed from your personal computer, that was information relative to the incident? Absolutely, yes. And mostly they were audio messages on um, to do with the aircraft that were here and right up until the time when we started watching and then we didn't need to message each other because we were with each other. Um, but yes. It, it was all to do with that night in the early hours of Friday, the 26th of February. Right. And so so after this has happened, people who are familiar with this sort of thing that happens in when it's presented in pop culture, you'll have sort of military types or men in black types sort of intimidating witnesses and, and interest from the ufological community of the area. How was that experience for you? Did you have that sort of experience? Oh, yeah. I did. There was a small UFO group that had been trying to find me for 18 months and they'd searched Facebook looking for me. I'd made my comments using my Facebook profile. Um, I wasn't hiding, I was there, but they weren't able to find me. For some reason, I'd been blocked or shadow banned, I think they call it. And it was only because they'd posted... Um, that they were going to do a sky watch on top of the Garth Mountain um, on this particular night and I'd seen it and I put a comment underneath saying it's a good place to be. That was it. And from that moment, uh, Gary Jones was able to contact me and from there, the investigation started. And I didn't know anything about EMF. You can't see it. Um, but the EMF was so high that it was like being x-rayed for two hours solid or I think microwaved. It's the EMF that was being put out was higher than a microwave. So it's and that was 18 months, 20 months after the event that it was still that high in those fields. So how high it was on the day, I, I don't know because I didn't know it was there. And EMF was also found at the crash site but only in those two locations. And all of the other fields were tested in a grid pattern and the base reading was 0 0.01 and it and in, in the, where this hand of lightning came down, it was over one. It was going off the scale on the EMF detectors. And the EMF detectors have been checked 
against household items and against more expensive EMF detectors, um, and it reads the same. So um, that the EMF detector is not faulty. Uh, any of the equipment that we used was not faulty, but most of it has been through freedom of information requests and the contradictions and lies that we've been told. A lot of people will say, well, it was Exercise Chameleon, which was a huge military biannual event. Exercise Chameleon was in Durham for the week before what happened here on the 26th of February. Um, there was no mention of South Wales, no mention of low-level flying, especially at night over a residential area next to a hospital. Um, Exercise Chameleon was over by the time this incident happened. Some would say that what I saw were parachutists with flares. No, we asked the RAF, did you use any flares that night? And if so, where? And they said no, so they don't do a very good job of covering up or making a cover story because they didn't use any flares or parachutists that night. Um, you know, it's ridiculous a notion to believe that what I saw were flares. It was absolutely impossible to mistake what I saw that night, which was a three-sided, enormous pyramid that ejected 15 to 20, maybe a couple more, other objects that were pursued west of here. You know, we've got witnesses in Port Talbot, witnesses in Neath, witnesses in Swansea and in Gowerton going right out to sea. They exceeded their NOTAM by over 50 miles, something they would never do in an exercise because it would be endangering other aircraft. They, would, they are not allowed to use live ammunition over a residential area. They're not even allowed to carry live ammunition over a residential area for one reason, for fear of accidents. And there was an accident that night. The Apache helicopter caught on fire and had to do a full-on emergency landing at Cardiff International, a civilian airport where you wouldn't expect to see an Apache helicopter. Mm. Um, so as part of your investigation, I'm, I'm curious, prior to this incident, was there any other weirdness that had happened in the past? Um, I mean, I know most areas, if you look back far enough, you'll find some unusual activity. But I know that that part of Wales is an area full of folklore and legends and there have been UFO sightings not too far from where you saw what you saw sort of in the Pembrokeshire area. So, Well, to be honest with you, it wasn't really an interest of mine. As I said right. previously, you know, I didn't ever dismiss the idea, but I, I didn't pursue it either. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I wasn't a member of any UFO groups and I wasn't a ufologist. Um, so I don't really know. There have been quite a few UFOs since the event and because I've been watching. So I see them now. Whereas before, and film them, I film them, not a problem, but they're individual craft. These things are, are small. But what I saw that night will change my life and has changed my life forever. It has made me question everything I thought I knew and believed. And it certainly makes me question the government and the lies that we've been told. Why don't they just tell us the truth? Mm. Where this pyramid appeared is, is near a mountain. 
are there any sort of ancient stones or or things that might hint at a that the place was special in in the past yes indeed well there is a trick point there's an ancient burial ground on the garth mountain but since the investigation started we wanted to sort of leave no stone unturned and as much as i I have to remain open-minded now. And that's not necessarily to say that I believe everything, but I have to accept that all things are possible. So we've had a lot of esoteric investigations done here as well. People, you know, waving crystals around and dowsing sticks, and we've had spiritualist mediums and that type of thing, uh, sensitives looking at the fields of Penturk. And um, it's turned out that there are two aisles of energy lines not just the ley lines that converge here, but two additional energy points that seem to have the opposite vortexes to each other, sort of a gateway, if you like. And around the edge of the field where this pyramid came in are huge stones. None of the other fields have these stones, as if they've been moved, a bit like the stones of Karnak. Um, and they, this would have been a long time ago, for agriculture, but it appears that these enormous stones have been moved um, and these lines are there. And the ball patch, right up until, well, four years after the event, was still giving off high EMF readings, but those readings have since diminished over time. You know, if this was a natural phenomena or if this was, you know, radio waves or something like that, then it would still be there but it's not. So yes, there, there is a possibility that it's an ancient site, and certainly we have three ley lines that converge there. Right. I guess something I haven't asked you yet, which I think is important, is what do you think you saw? Because from what you describe, it almost feels to me as though that pyramid itself was some sort of entity. Well, the pyramid itself was just an, so enormous, I didn't know. It defied physics completely. didn't know something that big could fly, let alone fly silently. Mm. I think the craft that came out of them were alive in some way. Like they were conscious and they had feelings and felt fear, very much so. They ran for their lives. You know, people have said to me in the past, well, you know, why didn't they just shoot up into space? Well, I think we presume an awful lot what their capabilities are. Um, you know, if they could do that, surely they wouldn't need to come here in a giant craft. Um, but the pyramid itself, I don't know, was like some kind of huge ship. But the things that came out were conscious, like they were alive, like they were the essence of life encapsulated in these vehicles that made no sound at all, no downdraft, absolutely nothing. I just wish there were more details, you know. Mm. Does does what you saw bear any similarity to other reports of what people might have seen? In 2018, there was a pyramid over the Pentagon. And when I saw it, that was it, without the lights on. And that was filmed by four other people, none of whom knew each other from different locations from around the Pentagon. Whatever this thing is, it was real. And it was on a par with what I saw here. 
and the size of what I saw here, but at ground level. This thing was enormous, majestic. Are these the gods of old? You know, this has to be a question raised. Definitely, yeah. It's it's like you were saying. It's 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 something that's hard to sort of put into words, but you can you can imagine that there's something that's that's very old. If I, I, you know, from your testimony and from what I read about what was seen and its similarity to craft that have been seen across the world, it does seem like this. There's a there's a commonality. I think the uh, the, the uh, video released by a crew member from a US warship and quite recently where there were seven pyramid-shaped craft in the sky and the Pentagon have agreed that this video is real. So for all of the debunkers out there that say, no, you know, it's a, it's a trick of the camera or their conventional aircraft, the, pe- the Pentagon themselves had said those craft were real. Seven pyramids. And I have been asked several times now, was that what I saw? Well, at the height that they are, I can't say yes or no. But they are pyramid-shaped, and they are three-sided pyramids, not four-sided. It, now that time, some time has passed since what happened happened, do you feel like you were meant to see this craft? It's a possibility. All things are possible. I do feel like I was chosen. It's it's an enormous burden, not only to us, but to them. You know, I feel a responsibility to tell everyone, to tell the world what happened here. And I don't care if people believe me or not. I am telling the truth. And I cannot convince anyone As I said before, you know, I'm not here to convince people. I'm here to inform you this happened and this is going on. I think it was uh, Ross Coulthard, the Australian journalist, that leaked that the American government had been monitoring a frequency for the last 30 years to know when these craft are, quote, going to appear and to be able to track them. Not when they're going to fly through space, but when they're actually going to appear. And they're monitoring it using the satellites. And the satellites are beaming that information directly to the AWACS planes, the E3 sentries, and the reconnaissance and surveillance aircraft then go into motion. This is what's been going on. And they're doing it without our knowledge and without our consent. And that's a very dangerous situation to be in. You know... They were not hostile, so what does that make us? Yeah, it, if the the beings that created this craft and were connected to it, if they decided to be hostile, that would worry me. <laughs> Indeed, and we should be given a choice. We should be told what is going on. You know, we have been told about Space Force now, which has now been made public. And I listened very carefully to the Senate hearing with General Dunford, who was in charge of Space Force at the time, uh, alongside General Yardley, who is now in charge of Space Force. And I believe it was Senator Richard Blumenthal that asked the questions. And he asked General Dunford why it was 
that they were launching Space Force now. And he said that they needed to launch it now to iron out any unforeseen problems because they needed to be ready for 2025. Ready for what? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It's... You know, Senator Richard Blumenthal went on to say that he was saying this in a classified environment, that we know what they are doing. Our adversaries know what they are doing, and they know that we know what they are doing. Who are they? They, they know so much more and if we are facing an existential threat, we should be told about it. Not to scare people, but to steer our children in the direction of sciences and technology that we will need now, not in the future. To let us know that we're not top of the food chain anymore and that we need to come together as a race because we are one race and one planet. And we should have one goal, which is disclosure. And there are people within the UFO world that are working against disclosure. And that scares me. I understand that. But do you think that disclosure will will allow that? I always wonder if it's the right thing to look to governments to provide that information when, from what you, you've told me, is that you, you you already know the, the truth. Do you think it's more that we just, rather than disclosure, there just needs to be a bit more open-mindedness to, to this sort of concept? It, it feels like these sorts of things aren't taken seriously in, in the media and that's more restraining than a, than a government not confirming or denying something. Yeah. Well, I think the Pentagon have done the right thing and at least they've admitted that these things are real. Um, I think the more that we learn about space and the more Earth-like planets that we've been told about and only in recent years, the more um, uh, a ridiculous notion it is that we are alone. I think they need to tell us something because it's not right what they're doing and if we are facing a threat, then we should be told. And I think the military's excuse that people have enough to worry about without being attacked by aliens is not good enough. You know, what happened here was shocking. I was disgusted with the way that we treated visitors from somewhere else. Maybe not so if we knew that they were hostile, but they didn't come across as hostile. But there was no attempt to communicate. No hand of friendship extended. They set an ambush and they shot it down. Not the pyramid itself. I don't know where that went other than it was spotted flying nine miles southeast of here. Um, but they definitely shot the green object down. Why? Yeah, it's... Again, my, my area of reference for this is is how it's depicted on TV and in movies is that they they can't take the risk that it's aggressive i suppose which is no excuse i don't i don't agree with that at all but at least this one of these probes these create whatever this this thing that scanned you was at least it scanned you and you got a good sense of you i i get that impression yeah you know i mean i have been threatened um 
a lot of people have asked if they can come out to the site and would I show them the sites, etc. And I've agreed to do so. And one man that went by the name of Tony Smith, which wasn't his real name, had contacted me via my Facebook page and asked if I would show him the sites. And I said, I agreed to do so, but not alone, thankfully. And he was not who he said he was. This man was military through and through. And uh, I was asked what it was that I wanted. And I said I didn't want anything for myself. And I was threatened and that threat extended to my family with perhaps a fatal car accident. And that's when I decided I would go public. Wow. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry that I had to happen. Um, so am I. But we have um, the Welsh Extremist Counter-Terrorism Unit um, that were in charge that night, that are also in charge of our military and can hide behind Section 26. And we're not allowed to know who they are, and they are a privately owned company, so they can never be subjected to a Freedom of Information request. And they are the men in black. Mm. So now, six years on, where are you with your investigation? Do you feel like you've gotten to a point where you have enough information or are you going to carry on? Or do you, is it something that you want to sort of put to bed and, and move on from? No, it's something that I will pursue. Um, the investigation will never be over. Never. I think we've put a case together enough to prove that this happened. There are photographs. There is a video that I have been refused access to, which is unfortunate. Uh, and I know that other videos exist. And the person that took the videos, I so want to come forward to me, to release those videos to me. Because they witnessed everything unfold at the Clantrison end, and they filmed it. It is so important. It could change the world. It could certainly blow the lid off this case and on disclosure in this country. But those witnesses need to be heard and their evidence needs to be seen by everyone. You know, Gary Jones and I had a meeting with some SMPs here in Wales and I have some of the copies of the photographs, but I don't have the originals. And the SMPs asked for those originals to be sent via email, and I was refused the originals. Right, yeah. It feels like, because I, I, I know that recently you were on a TV show that was hosted by Craig Charles, and, and watching that program, it didn't feel like it really dug deep enough into what you experienced and no, I think didn't. going back to going back to my was... point about disclosure is that do you think that in terms of more cultural acceptance of these sorts of beings the the craft that they have the, these entities where they come from do, do you think that it's more that there needs to be more investment in making programs that take this stuff seriously yes indeed um I think if they release the technology, then perhaps we could traverse space and inhabit other planets. I think that is a must for the human race to succeed and to be sure of, of pro progressing. You know, as I said before, we're one planet and if this happens to anything 
happens to this planet. That's the human race gone. You know, if we had freedom to traverse the galaxies, I know they have the technologies. It would be immense for the human race. You know, imagine having human colonies on multiple planets. Mm. You know, um, it would ensure the future of the human race. Yeah, I, I think it's something that you would imagine would be part of our future. But, but like you were saying earlier, we need to, to learn how to be friendly with other alien races, don't we? <laughs> I think, yes. And, you know, there are definitely other entities or craft out there. You know, I watched the tether incident um, from NASA's own footage, a 15-mile tether that blew off the International Space Station when they tried to gather ions from the upper atmosphere to create an unlimited amount of electricity for the ISS. And it blew the arm off, which was 15 miles long. And you had these spacecraft flying up to it that are estimated to be over five miles wide. Well, who are these craft? And and clearly the, the astronauts on, on board the ISS have seen them. They do make a point of filming these craft. But was it Gordon Cooper that said that he he saw things that could only be described as living beings like jellyfish and eels swimming around in space? So perhaps it's not dead at all, Um, but an ocean, a cosmic sea, as our ancestors called it. Hmm. I like that idea. I think that's something interesting to be explored. Indeed. Indeed. Um... But I don't think, you know, our lifestyles haven't really changed since the 1940s. You know, people still go to work nine to five, you know, 2.2 children, and nothing has really changed in our way of life. And this needs to change before it's too late. And as you said, what happens if they come back with their warships? Where does that leave us? Yeah, it's... With with things like that, I try and remain optimistic. I think I hope that they are able to see that humanity, for the most part, is good. But yeah, I have to just hope for that. I guess. <laughs> well, this is the problem, you know. The Ministry of Defence and all world governments have been doing this in secret, without our knowledge or consent, and we should be told so that we have a choice, a vote, if you like. Um, do we want to? meet these people are they people what are they are they hostile you know we need the answers to these things what is the area like now where on the garth mountain and since this happened does it still have a sense of being a a special place a, a place where there's some sort of gateway to another realm yes well one of the things we've discovered um that's not in the book uh is what the military were doing here. And they were triangulating a satellite into this area. Um, We believe now to beam some form of resonance or to distort the frequency to stop them from using the conduits to, to actually come into this dimension. Because all major UFO sightings across the world have all happened on ley lines. That is not a coincidence as if they're using these energy centers to be able to to come in through conduits, not coming down from outer space or traveling light years, you know, but actually coming 
like we live on BBC One and they live on BBC Two and they, and they can traverse through dimensions. Wow, it's, such, it's very fascinating. Well, it, it certainly challenged me and, you know, I've you know taken a lot of abuse for coming forward. But as I said before, if this didn't happen, I wouldn't have said anything at all. And if this was a story, I'd have posted it under fiction and not had to have had the abuse. This is so important for all of us. Mm, it's, it's very intriguing. Well, Kaz, uh, I really appreciate you relating what you experienced. I know that it's not been easy for you. So thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And I hope people take this on board. And if there are witnesses out there, please use my website. There's a safe space on there for witnesses. All information is kept in the strictest confidence and will not go any further than me. You can come through a third party, but the information that you have is all important for this case. So if you're listening, please come forward, seek me out. And there's a, a support network that's been set up by professionals also on the website. For anybody that needs support um, with a sighting, I don't want anyone to be in the position that I was in with post-traumatic stress and not having anyone to talk to about it. We have counsellors on standby if people need help and it's free, totally free. Excellent. Well, yeah, I'll put that information in the show notes. Thank you, Kaz. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Kaz. It's clear that it hasn't been an easy experience for her to deal with the aftermath of what she witnessed and get the answers she deserves. As I said in the interview, I'm not sure we should be looking to governments and the military to provide that information. But if something like that did happen and resulted in UFO witnesses like Kaz receiving more understanding, respect and acceptance, that can only be a good thing. That's pretty much it for now. Please consider rating this episode wherever you listen and sharing it on social media as it really helps the podcast to grow and find new listeners. You can follow some other sphere on Twitter at spherical underscore pod and subscribe on all good podcast platforms. You can now also donate to the podcast via Ko-fi. Details on how to do that are in the show notes. If you'd like to email me here at SphereHQ with feedback on an episode or ideas for future guests or topics to cover, the address is someothersphere at gmail.com. It'd be lovely to hear from you. Until next time, be safe and well, and I hope you'll join me again soon for another episode of Some Other Sphere.